진태 진석 태극기 휘날리며 Good day, or Anion has a yo. Or how do you say that? Uh, you said it correctly. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right, welcome to the Flick Lab. Yeah, it's Flick Lab time once again. What good news? Yep. Looks like we don't have a bottle opener for this podcast, so I cannot get this show on the road. <laughs> or do uh, I? Can I get myself this one? Yeah, sure. There's uh, different kinds of beers, you can select what you want. Tonight it's going to be a little bit of a special situation here, because on my end there's going to be two people talking. It's me, your ever-reliable <laughs> co-host Karri, and uh, Lee, our guest for tonight. So now you're going to experience how it feels in my schizophrenic head all the time. Yep. Here you go. Oh, thank you. No worries. Serviceman. <laughs> so l- let me get the situation correctly. You know, you, you have a South Korean guest here helping you out with the episode, and the first thing you actually make the poor guy do is is to serve you cold beer. Yeah, that's right. Because because Jan, my production support, just left the room, so we have to have someone, you know, to do the dirty work. <laughs> It's a South Korean courtesy. <laughs> well, right, yeah. I still haven't gone to Asia. Would you recommend to go into oh, Korea? Oh, definitely, yeah. You'll love it there. Yeah. What do you recommend the most in Korea? You mean the cities or what to do? Whatever. What's your favorite thing to do there? Mm, definitely partying. <laughs> I'm very young, so, you know, I yeah. like to go out, meet some people, you know, go out with my friends. Yeah. I would say the party doesn't stop, like, ever in South Korea. Yeah. Like, especially in Seoul. Like, uh, if you were in a place like Hongdae, You will see a lot of bars and clubs open until like 8 a.m. or sometimes after party until like 12. <laughs> mm. Yeah, what's the best thing to eat in South Korea? Um, depends on what you like. Like, do you like spicy foods? Do you like something sweet? Something exotic? Something sweet? Something with noodles, perhaps? All right. Um, ramen noodles. <laughs> We have a lot of those in a convenience store. Like a lot of uh, variety of ramen noodles. And you have like your specific Korean sushi type of thing. I forgot the name. Sushi? Yeah, it's not called sushi, but well, uh, we called it uh, hui. Okay. Yeah, um, we have the hui is for like uh, the fish, and we call like a beef sushi um, yukui. Mm. Yeah, which means like a meat sushi. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now that we have wet our audience's appetite, it's time to get to the real business here, little by little. But Sounds good. You know, as our audience might know or not, I'm Karri, I'm from Finland, I studied media, and Henrik studies art and still lives in Finland. I live in Poland because that's how life sometimes goes and uh, working in IT here. But Lee, where are you coming from exactly in Korea? Well, um, from South Korea, 
I was born in Seoul, born and raised in South Korea until I was 17, and then I moved to America to study in Chicago. Mm. And then I moved to Australia, uh, Melbourne, for about a year. Um, I was just living there, you know, working a little. Then I decided to travel to Turkey, and I was living in Istanbul for about three months. And then I went back to Korea about a year. And yeah, I, I started studying in Poland, University of Warsaw, international relations, to be exact. Awesome. So what do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> <laughs> very funny, very funny. Um, I, my initial goal was to be a diplomat in South Korea. Yeah. But I was thinking it's not my, I must well pay, you know, to become a governmental work, a worker in South Korea. So I'm thinking more of a, in a private sector, maybe in a bank uh, after I finish my MBA. Mm -hmm. But I'm still, you know, I'm still young. So still deciding and, you know, exploring my options. You keep saying that to our audience. You're still young. <laughs> How young are you? Really? I am 22. Yeah. Yeah. And you are, you're like 35, right? I'm ancient, ancient history. <laughs> <laughs> Very funny. 33. Yeah. 33. To be exact. And so is Hendrik, the mysterious co-host. Yeah, unfortunately. So the time has moved way past us. <laughs> yeah, we'll see about that. Gotta be jealous of those, you know, Asian or Korean genes because they manage to look so so young until they are like I don't know, sixty five or something. Genetics. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. All right. So the funny thing is that we actually just met by accident in Costa Coffee. That's <laughs> true. So my addiction to extremely expensive coffee houses has paid off. <laughs> That's all good. I, I can't imagine why you would be in a situation where you meet a complete stranger and the first thing you start to talk to him about <laughs> is your film podcast. Yeah, I know. I know. I guess just help. came out of nowhere. Just like, are you Korean? Like, would you like to be on a radio show? <laughs> I'm like, definitely, let's do it. <laughs> I, I can perfectly imagine that Corey has been just like that. But most likely, he actually waited that you exit the coffee shop and ambushed you outside. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he kidnapped you all the way to his house, and now I'm here yeah. doing a radio show. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it sounds precisely like this disease. <laughs> so it goes. We need more listeners. Give us your money. But um, yeah, he was talking to, to someone, and then I just interrupted, like, yeah... Seemed like a cool guy, so why not? Thank you. Take you advantage of him. <laughs> yeah, just kidding. Henrik, anything else until we go to scene by scene? I guess the most pressing question is why on God's green earth we are once again doing this? Like why we are covering this film, Harry? <laughs> yeah. Your of excuses, course. because we are once again meeting with Korean Peninsula on this podcast. <clears throat> so, so the thing thing goes, we. <laughs> Yeah, we started with Shiri. This is one other South Korean film that is very well known internationally and uh, famously smashed Titanic at the box office in Korea. And after that, we analyzed a North Korean film directed by a kidnapped South Korean <laughs> director. This was Hong Gil Dong. Now we're once again visiting a South Korean flick. And the reason is... This uh, film happens to be in our international movie challenge. Shiri was not. So now we have also incorporated mm. this to our challenge. So 
This consists of 20 films from 20 different countries. And, uh, you know, you just can't do an international cinema challenge without Korea. Yeah, because God, God help us, if, if the Korean Peninsula hasn't been the most visited location of this podcast. We've covered, <laughs> we have covered the Peninsula actually more than we have covered, for example, fin- Finnish films. Right. So <laughs> o- o- outside of American movies, this is the most visited location that we have. Yep. Hopefully, and it's it's gonna continue like that because there is also that Bond marathon going on here on this podcast where we cover one good and one bad Bond film from each actor, and we are going to touch upon on Pierce Brosnan eventually. And well, fucking spoilers: the bad film from Brosnan will be Die Another Day, which is once again fucking Korea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But why this film? Well, it's been busting records in South Korea. As we know, that this was, uh, I understand, the most successful Korean film uh, at the time. And um, many films kept taking this title in the subsequent years. So there's been a lot of successful films in the early 2000s in Korea. And uh, Lee, what's your experience with tonight's film? How do you pronounce this correctly? Well, uh, in South Korean, I mean in Korean, yeah. you say "tegeki hinalimyo," which means waving the the flag, yeah. like Korean flag. Uh, whereas in English title, it just says "tegeki," just Korean flag. Tegeki. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The American addition to the name is "Brotherhood of War." Mm. In uh, Britain, it was just "Brotherhood," which kind of doesn't tell you anything about the film, but. <laughs> Well, I mean, uh, the Brotherhood is one of the most essential uh, topic of the film, so I think yeah, it's a fitting name, title, I guess. Fair enough. All right. Welcome to the most action or war-packed film of the entire Cinema Challenge, which has included quite a lot of slow films. So this is a nice change. Yeah, mostly with the entire Cinema Challenge up until this point has been these small, independent, very personal dramas. Yeah, and some very complicated art cinema. Yeah, but even those has been on the dramatic side of filmmaking. So when it comes to actually having, well, action of any kind on our cinema challenge, it is this one and, and the Pretty Village, Pretty Flame. Oh, wow, yeah, indeed. One of the best watchers in this challenge. It's a Serbian film that depicts horrors of the Bosnian war. Interesting. Yeah. Henrik, what's your experience with Tagoki? You're just trying to buy yourself time there, <laughs> ain't you? I'm ready to go. <laughs> but tell our listeners anyway. Uh, I first came in contact with the film about a year after its release when the hype machine was in full force going on. Film buff. And everybody in the garden West was humping out how this is the best film ever, the greatest war film ever made, stuff like that. So eventually I, of course, had to see it. I had to wait until this came up as a DVD in the Asian Vision lineup. I was also interested about the film because of the director who previously I had seen his work in Shiri and really liked that one so I was also interested in in seeing this film and after the last time I saw it I really haven't revisited the film in would it be five years already or even more since I last time saw this one 
Lee, what's your experience with the film? Uh, I think I watched it around 2005, 2006. It's a pretty great film. I think most of my uh, friends and my you know parents and my grandfather they really enjoy the movie because they can actually relate to this movie as a culturally and historically. Because um, a lot of previous generation they been through the Korean War directly or indirectly somehow. Mm-hmm. So I guess um, what makes this film great is that people can actually relate to this to very personal levels. And also, you know, like the deep bonding between the, the brothers and the family is uh, one of the biggest value in South Korea. Yeah. Very big, yeah. Actually, but I'm very surprised the fact that people outside of Korea is was and is watching this movie. And actually appreciating this because I never knew that uh, South Korean movies are in any way um, common anywhere else uh, outside of South Korea. Mm. Well, this was internationally recognized, but uh, mm. still, I don't think that meant a whole lot. Still, even in the early 2000s, but uh, now mm. everybody has high broadband internet connections, so I guess this has That's true. helped with that. Even to this day, though, I don't know where to find all kinds of interesting TV series from mm, Korea. Yeah. I think there are plenty, and I would love to delve deeper into that. <laughs> I appreciate that you're interested in, you know, in my country's films. <laughs> But yeah, like it's quite surprising that anybody outside of Korea would watch this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, real quick, what are your thoughts on Shiri, actually? Actually, I never got to watch the movie. I think oh. it's one of the most famous uh, action films in South Korea. But I was just never interested in, you know, or had a chance to watch this. Okay, yeah. I can recommend. Same director. All right. And before we started recording, you said that this is depicting the events pretty close to the truth. And that the costumes and whatnot are mm. correctly done. Right. So, yeah. Something, I guess, that uh, will get the emotions going for people who were personally affected by the war. All right, let's get to the scene by scene. First, oh, cool. we have... Uh, little bouncing ball and it's the logo for what I like to call the shoe box. I always hear it as shoe box. <laughs> yeah, I remember when I was a child, um, I watched this scene every time I'm watching a movie at a, you know, theater. <laughs> this ball jumping around in a, uh, from a box. Yeah. Basically, we start off with the memorial site for the souls of Korean War. Mm. There's excavations going and uh, bowing in front of a flag. Was there anything special about that part? Why are they bowing in the excavation site for the flag? Out of respect, you know. Use a lot of people um, bowing and putting their hands on their heart. Maybe I missed something in that. Like, were they bowing for, you know, some items that they discovered or the bones? I'm not sure. This Could I see the scene, actually? Sure. Oh, that part. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That's very uh, common practice in South Korea. So basically in a funeral... In general, uh, oh. they would bow. Any Korean funerals, you will see people bowing mm. to the deceased. Mm-hmm. Usually twice. Thank goodness for the guests, because these are some <laughs> of the small details that I would at least miss. Yeah, glad I could be your help. <laughs> so somehow, magically, they are able to determine that they, these remains that they find to be chin socks, but they turn out to be chin ties, or... Maybe you can give us the authentic uh, pronunciation once again for these names. Ah, Chinte and Chinsok. Chinte. Chinte, Chinsok. Chinte, Chinsok. Great. Good pronunciation. And when these guys are talking brother to brother, they will just drop the chin part, right? 
I could hear some te sock or at least te. Mm, not really. They would just see yeah. the um, not the full name, but you know, at least the the name. Yeah. They did two words. He thinks that he has to be driven to the site by the granddaughter to find out more what the hell is going on. The site is on a mountain. They're worried about his health, but everything will go out fine. And we are introduced to the box, which contains the shoes that were bought by. Not bought. Uh, I think there was made the, by. Yeah, made by the brother. Right. That died. Yeah. Because he wanted to be a shoemaker. Yeah. And make a shoe shop. Yeah, this movie is uh, planting a lot of these moments that uh, will be paid off later. That's right. Yeah, like, it would be so nice if you would have this shop and and then reminiscing all these good times that we had before the war. And that's great, but perhaps it was a little bit too obvious for the audience. I don't know, Henrik? Well, I kind of don't see how it's too obvious. I mean, it's basically your basic setup and payoff mm. structure of film. It is very much that. Right. But, uh, you know, from a Korean perspective, a lot of old people, like an uh, older generation, they are still reminiscing the time before the war in South Korea. So I think um, it's very important seeing the people can actually relate. What's the young people's like connection to the, to the oh, war? None. <laughs> Zero to none. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people... Actually, it's, it's funny because a lot of people, they do not realize that we are still at war with North Korea. The yeah. war has never ended. Uh, but we have been living in such a peaceful times for 30, 40 years now. So people, well, I mean, they have forgotten like yeah. what was it like to live during the war, after the war. You know, those hardships. Because, you know, South Korea is a well-developed country right now. A lot of people are they don't have to worry about food. Um, or clothing or whatever. Yeah. Do you have some understanding of the general attitudes of, of people living in the South towards the Northern ones who have, you know... Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> who have come to South? Oh, you mean like North Koreans that came yeah. to South Korea? Right. Uh, even though I'm South Korean, born and raised there, I have never seen a North Korean person in my life. Like, mm. never. Mm. Yeah, never got to see them. All right. So we're in June 1950 now. We established the older brother. Also later we established that he's doing all of this for his younger brother, which is really sweet. <laughs> There's a symbol on the hat. I can't remember what the symbol is. I believe it's Chinese, if I'm not entirely incorrect. Mm. Mm-hmm. That is Chinese. Yeah. Is this is that a mountain or no? No, uh, it's not a mountain. I think it's uh, it means Chung, which means like uh, middle school or high school. I think she's in ah. high school. Yeah. Okay, is this something that everybody wears in school? Back in the day, yeah. Ah. But, uh, in South Korea, we have these uniforms, and they look all different from different eras. Now we have a uniform that looks more like a, just like a suit, just like in the Western countries, like in America or England. I think uh, during that time, they also had uh, the military uniform for high schoolers as well, because they were doing uh, the military training in the school, in high school. And they're running hand in hand around town. This was something that I paid attention to. You know, I don't know if this is normal in the Korean culture that if your brothers are very close to somebody... Holding hands? Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe back in the day, but I never see any guys holding hands in South Korea. Okay. (laughs) Actually, in Turkey, they do that. Yeah, they uh, hold their hands, um, like, you know, when they're talking about something serious or important. 
Yeah, that seems to be kind of the norm in the Muslim culture from what I've seen. I guess so. Yeah, more physical contact overall. <laughs> I think you missed one thing though. Mm-hmm. You know, the brothers are sharing an ice cream, right? Yeah. This very common thing in South Korea that, um, at least back in the day, was a really important value that if you... There's a saying in South Korea um, that if you have like a one pea, like a, like a peanut or something, you should share with your friend or brother or your family, mm-hmm. even like a little peanut. So it's, um, it's a culture in South Korea to share pretty much everything, you know, even though you don't have enough. Yeah, I'm not sure if this is the mom's shop or restaurant, or is this the uh, future bride's restaurant. But anyway, it's, it's probably family business. Yeah, it seems that like the mother of Jin Jin Sok and mm-hmm. Jin Tae is very close to this possible bride. And then we are saying some hi to f- father who has died in some previous occasion. They're in front of the altar and. Uh, talking to him. There are plenty of these happy moments. I paid attention to this. Everything is super happy before we go to the, go to the war. So yeah, in a way, it's kind of a setup and the payoff via the memories closer to the end and forming the emotional connection to these characters. And then we see the brother shining the shoes. Kind of since you are pointing out a setup and payoff structure in the film, I am quite surprised that you haven't yet mentioned that the whole communism scene as an enemy ideology has also been set up at this point. Communism? Yep. There's the mentioning of them needing the grain. And in order to get that, they have had to sign their name on a piece of paper. Which they briefly comment on that a signature ah. is an is an Insightful. small price to pay for the grain. Yeah, and they were getting like a a bag of rice for that. Yeah. Well, then we get the information that the war has commenced and they are leaving Seoul, packing all their stuff at the home restaurant, and the girlfriend is quite understanding about the situation that maybe they should pack everything that they possibly can because they might not return and they don't for quite some time and the sad moment where they leave the dog alone there who knows what happened there later of course we discussed the dog later and Jinta is wishing that he would have let the dog go at this moment yeah i've understood that uh, before the war there was a number of border skirmishes between the two countries and there was an execution of group of North Korean spies like two months before the North Korea attacked but the actual official attack and the starting point of the war became quite as a surprise to the south. Yeah, that it did. Maybe you can add something. It was a surprise attack on Sunday where uh, most of these soldiers were on holidays. Sunday, and the North Korean soldiers just rushed in without any warning, which, you know, they had a upper hand, obviously, because nobody knew that they were coming in on that day, exactly. Uh, it was Sunday at later night, so probably most of the people on holiday, uh, sleeping, so, yeah. And the army was otherwise also ill-equipped for the attack. Uh, ill-equipped, not ready, you know, unprepared. Yeah. So they had a um, huge advantage coming all the way down to Seoul in, in a few days. The U.S. troops, which were supposed to be in the south and helping South Korea, 
during this time they also were right that's true pretty small mostly not in not in there and also quite ill equipped yep. for the original attack since that was kind of the American policy that they didn't want to invest too many soldiers and too much equipment that's right into south in in order not to tempt any aggression from North Korea's side it yeah. was the uh, the domino effect uh, theory that supported um, the US troops to be in South Korea was it Truman or Truman yeah yeah and he supported the idea of um, defending South Korea as like a last frontier of against the communism. Yeah, and it, it is kind of an interesting notion to make in that sense that in, in West, if you watch war documentaries about the Korean Civil War, they very often are made from the Western perspective, and the narrative you often get from those documentaries is the Western narrative, which follows the American and the UN troops that took part in the war, but. Once again, it kind of models your perspective because, of course, in that narrative, it is so heavily focused on the UN troops that they start to appear in more in a bigger role than they actually were in the actual conflict. Because this was something where where the UN was not as major player as as they might often want to see themselves as being. Not not at first, but it took like over a month and uh, at that point South Korea was already under the control of North Korea apart from this small patch of land yeah, in the capital the... because um, like you said unprepared yeah. ill-equipped so without the US um, South Korea would have been communist nation as well mm. yes. so I guess that US's role was pretty big it, yeah it was huge and massive uh, huge yeah they... yeah it, it it was huge in in the amount of troops sent there but i've also come to understand that u.s knowingly did not want to actually send their full force equipment wise into the conflict yeah of course they wanted to avoid the world war three but at the same time they started to get more and more worried about the spread of communism and that was the thing that set the wheels in motion and uh, they brought the groups to South Korea and uh, pretty quickly by, was it December 1950, they were then able to take control of the almost the entirety of North, uh, Korean Peninsula. But then, of course, China gave the surprise attack back. Yeah. We have already looked at the main actors, the brothers of the film. So let's talk about the actors. Henrik, do you have something on them? I just love how you all just dropped the whole topic on my lap here. <laughs> yeah, take it away. G- give us something about the actors. Because I already talk enough in this podcast. Just trying to put the spotlight back to you <laughs> for for your honor. We, we, we should give the spotlight to the guest here. God damn it! <laughs> like our, our audiences will here be kind of a deafened by the by the yappering of the two of us already. But. When it comes to the actor side, I guess the to Western audiences the most most familiar faces from this cast would be, of course, uh, Yang Dong Gun, who plays the older brother, mm-hmm. Jin Tai, if I remember the name correctly. Yeah, Jin Tai. Jin Tai. Jin Tai. Jin 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 Tai. Jin Tai. 
Yeah, me, me, me and Dane pronunciation of pronunciation all together is. It's a continuous nightmare and a feared best not traveled. Something that you may have picked him up on is is the gangster film Friend and the Mm. sci-fi actioner 2009 Lost Memories, which also shares the actor Gilkan Ahn, who here is playing Mm. the role of, was it Sergeant Lee? Who who is the main sergeant? But yeah, the 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 friend was the most successful South Korean film at that point in two thousand one, and then uh, replaced by the success of Takuki. Yeah. Have you seen Have you seen Friend? Uh, I think uh, I watched the second film. Yeah, it's the second one. But yeah, like there's a lot of a um, criminal movies that are very popular in South Korea, like Chingu ones. Yeah, we never got the second one in, in West. We only had... Oh, don't bother. It's not that good. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> happy to hear that because I actually did like quite a lot the first film that came out. Mm, yeah. Actually, Dongun was acting opposite of uh, Won Bin in the friend film. So they have collaborated before, one of the highest grossing Korean films of all time. Yeah, there is also the Typhoon, which once again, like, like Shiri, touches upon the South-North relationships and the hostilities between the two countries and is, once again, it's more tied into the present day, agent against a terrorist type of plot. And there is uh, then there is also the, the Warrior's Way, which is the South Korean-American co-production about the Wild West town that has to deal with the invasion of ninjas. <laughs> then there's also the film Silmido, or how do you pronounce Silmido. that? Silmido. And uh, yeah, this uh, once again smashed the records in box office set previously by Taikuki. One Bin, of course, he's kind of the teen heartthrob or was seen as such. Of, of course, now he's pushing 40, but seems to be looking still the same as when he was 20 year old. So I don't know. And, he's um, al- also pushing more violent film-wise, appearing in in the thriller Mother and in the South Korean, I, I guess, kind of a South Korean version of Taken, the man from nowhere. Mm. Other than that, I, I guess, you know, for Western audiences, most of the cast and crew would be kind of unfamiliar. Except, of course, our main guy, Choi Min-shik, who here plays some completely random North Korean captain, but who was the main bad guy in Shiri? Yeah, I, I noticed the same thing like, immediately. Yeah, like, I, I was so. also kind of well, t- taking a notice of that and thinking, that, like, like Min-shik, what, what the hell are you doing here? Especially in such of a small role. Small role, and you could tell from the walking style already that, uh, yeah, this has to be the same guy. Like, he has this, I don't know if it's a limp, but he has a really, you know, his own way of walking. Yep, because ever since the Halloween films, we have been all about walking <laughs> in this podcast. Right. One bin is seen, seen as the, like, the model of what a, like, a good-looking man should be. What do you think? Is he the Korean like the like, uh, like, a, like ideal the ideal right? 
I did a look for the guy in guy. South Korea. Well, I mean, I think a general population of female in South Korea they prefer um, very feminine look, mm. like flawless skin. Mm. Yeah, I mean, like they say they want a manly man, but if you see the pictures of what they like, it's just pretty feminine and you know, girly looking, pretty boys, <laughs> basically. But yeah, uh, Chang Dong Gon and Won Bin um, is definitely one of the um, most good looking actors in South Korea. Yeah, the beauty standards are, you know, I guess a little bit different. You know, in the Western Western world, I guess people prefer something a little bit harsher, like Brad Pitt comes to mind. Yeah, yeah. In in here, the male fixation is more bulkier, kind of a harsher edges. All right. So we're trying to jump into a train, and that happens, but they take the wrong train because. The regular trains are only used for war purposes, and it just so happens that uh, Chinte and Chinsok get close to a train where soldiers are waiting for them. They're looking for people who are between the ages of 18 and 30, and they're recruiting new soldiers, and so they do. Chinte could have just said that he is 17 or something, but, uh, well, I guess they would have checked his papers anyway. Yeah, or he simply could have not stand up when the official authorities started to ask members yeah, in this age they just group. keep standing there they could have just left the scene but yeah uh, so they do when they capture or take Jin Tae as the soldier and so it so happens that they have to go to the war both of them fight and suits yeah quite quite a brave decision to start smacking you know officers or soldiers in the trade Especially in, in this environment, because not only the soldiers, but outside of the two brothers, pretty much everyone else on the train seems to be quite enthusiastic about joining the war. Yeah. Something I should say about the beating in this film. Like, I was surprised that uh, otherwise, I suppose, kind of a pretty realistic depiction of events is introducing a lot of punching punching which has no consequences whatsoever. I mean, they get some damage initially, but then all the scars and, you know, the swollen faces will disappear, you know, the next morning. Or nobody gets, like, severely injured, because that's what you would get, like, lifelong injuries and disabilities from such a heavy beating that we see, especially later on in this film. So I think this movie can handle it haphazardly. Yeah, there, there is, there are some moments in film where you can really see the action movie director side taking over, and this is kind of notable when when you look at so, some of the violence that happens in the film, and mostly the the physical effects of that violence, which are not present afterwards. Once we get to the actual war scenes and the fighting, hell of a lot of shooting. There is hell of a lot of explosions, and something you don't see that much is, for example, shrapnel damage, broken eardrums, anything like that, that would most likely happen in extreme measures during that those kind of intensive fight scenes that we have. Well, there is the notion that somebody shouts from the top of their lungs that, you bastards, you're, you are destroying or exploding my ears. That, yeah, that's all. yeah, but we actually never see that as an any kind of a hindrance to any of the characters. 
much like like for example the shrapnels from the grenades we we see one guy getting a shrapnel and that's it and these are still characters that survive through grenade attacks and repeated gunfights where the fighting itself may take I would say hours, judging by the amount of of manpower and equipment that is thrown in some of these fight scenes. And the movie starts with a bang when we get to the war scenes. Okay, explosion goes off just right next to them, and Jinte is in a shock. I haven't seen this movie in like 10 years. I wasn't sure what's, what's going to happen. <laughs> is this guy really going to die, which doesn't make any sense, of course. But yeah... Harrowing situation, he comes out of it okay, of course. And never gets back to it, ever after that one. To hamp this point even more forward, because goddamn if we are nothing but extremely slowly to moving on in in our episodes, but yeah, there, there is the notion of the bad heart and also getting into shock from the extreme violence and the, the boy that was close situations that they face. You are being shown this once. And that the film never actually comes back to any of those those points. Yeah, Jinde tries to get uh, his brother out. Right, by getting uh, the medal. Yeah. Of honor. Uh, the officer promises that he will let his brother go home if he does Earned exemplary work or, yeah, oh, yeah, earns the medal or something on that level. So, of course, Jinde takes it so that he must know. At all costs, risk his life for his younger brother, which will, throughout the film, cause conflict between the two. I think you um, missed the scene where they were writing uh, their will. His brother is like stopping him from writing that because he's promising that he will leave you alive. There's an interesting line around these parts that uh, when he's in the tent talking to the officer and trying to convince to send his younger brother home, now the officer says that one father sent his son home, you know how? And I guess he's just being kind of asshole. And uh, that was a reference to sending somebody in uh, pieces to home. Mm. Or that's how I took it. Could you play that? Yeah, let's see. So I think he's there in a tent. Chinsuk is asking the officer, like... Okay. And that's it. Wait, that, that's it? Yeah. I think the officer is saying, um, we're asking Chinsok, like, do you wonder, like, how he went home? And uh, the scene stops. So I think maybe the father of this son earned the Medal of Honor and he sent his son home. Yeah. Chinsok keeps reminiscing about the good times many times in this film. And, uh, well, the old, older brother is getting less and less interested about these stories, it seems. It's kind of unclear what he's more interested in throughout the later parts of the film. Is it about the medal or is it about saving his brother? Of course, he has seen a lot of horrific stuff throughout the war, so mm. he could be really loyal to the army at this point. No, not really, no. Nah. His sore objective is to just get his brother out of the army. That's pretty much it. Yeah. But at the end of the film, he just becomes very cold, um, bloodthirst person because he's just been through a lot during the war just to get this matter of honor then we are planting some mines so now a bunch of locations have been falling into enemy hands and supply routes are cut off and now the older brother is on his first mission to 
be worthy of the Medal of Honor and goes to do that, but of course it doesn't go really according to the plan because it uh, happens to be a surprise attack from the North Korean side. Ambush takes place. Do you know some etymology regarding this harasho that you say? What do you mean harasho? Well, it's like, like agreement in Korean language. I think it's yeah. uh, arasso. Arasso. Yeah, that means yeah. like, okay, sure, yeah. all right. Yeah, and it's similar like right. in Russian. Uh, is it? Yeah, oh. harasho. Harasho, okay. No, it's arasso, al-asso. Manipulation going on, North Koreans playing music on loudspeakers and machine mm. sockets. Yeah, there's some reminiscing moment once again. Should have let the dog free. And some maggots and madness. So at this point, somebody's going absolutely crazy at the camp. And starts shooting all the patients, and then shoots himself. And I suppose this started because one of the patients is having kind of maggots all over its stomach. Oh, right. Yeah. Funnily enough, or I don't know if it's really funny, but uh, after this horrific event, they decide that they are really hungry, so the best course of action is start to attack North Korea. And so they do, and uh, they are completely surprising the North part, which works to their advantage. One soldier from the north says that please don't kill me, I'm only 15. And right after, when he's let go of the grip, he of course starts his counterattack. There's a lot of treachery, and actually depicted treachery from both of the, these sides. If you can in some way say that Chiri was a propaganda piece, like some like to say, this for certain, I would say, has nothing like that. You see the bad side of war from both sides. You even get to the North Korean sides of defense and kind of see it from the war from their perspective. And the North Koreans are humanized in that way. So the US has a successful landing to Incheon. 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 Thank you. Mijinta is ordered to raise the flag on Mount Bagdu. Pektu. Pektu. Mountain Pektu. Pektu-san. When they get to that point, but of course there's many steps to go still, and soon they have to backtrack. But okay, September 1950, there's a TV interview for him. Yeah, this is the point where Jinde gets drunk, and Jinzok is quite unimpressed. The first moment where he, where we see that he's definitely getting pissed off, and or that he just doesn't even know who he's talking to. Completely different person. We get to Battle of Pyongyang. And we're introduced to the captain, as mentioned earlier, played by Choi uh, Min-sik. <laughs> this guy. Ah, Cho Min-sik. Cho Min-sik. Amazing. Continuing over to the Apok River and China border. So now they are basically in control of the entirety of Korea. But, so it happens that over 100,000 or 250,000 how, or however many Chinese Men are now attacking Korea, so yeah, retreat to Seoul's direction. Lots of close combat in these scenes. Lots of close combat and, and a lot of events that in which you kind of have to know how the war went in real life. So that you can actually get the full picture here watching the film, what actually is going on. Like once the cover front starts to shift from from South Korea to North Korea and then back to South Korea, you the film does kind of make a point. It it does show you the timestamps when when this is happening, and it does give you the notion that we are retreating and the Chinese are coming and we are advancing and now we are on this city and now we are on this city, but 
for a Western audience really to understand what the fuck is going on, it is quite recommended that you do do some background check on the war itself before you watch this film. Yeah, so basically in a very short way. North Korea takes control of almost the entirety of Korea and South Korea and the UN troops take control of the entirety of the Korea and then China attacks and then they, the South Korean side retreats back to below the 38th parallel. It goes back and forth in the 38th parallel and uh, Seoul is being captured and recaptured and finally then they settle there. And that's how it's been since the 50s. Yeah, and that's how also how it goes in the film, like you mentioned. Yeah, there there are no mysterious fantasy elements where where the southern part would take control of Korea and uh, happy ending or anything like that. No, but but someone like this is something that I I guess I have to warn our listeners and everybody else who is new to the conflict and wants to check this film out. This is one aspect of the film where I felt that the movie was moving on kind of a haphazardly, like not making it extremely clear for for non-Korean audiences how the war is actually going on and mm. how, how the main front line shifts. Yeah, it's hard to start explaining it. You, you would have to draw some kind of a map in front of, the, front of the audience's faces. Well, would that really be too much to ask? Hmm. So the problem with the, most of the Korean film is that um, they are dedicated for Korean people. Mm. They don't really uh, take account that people outside of Korea will watch the film. So it could be a little unfriendly. Like uh, They wouldn't explain the whole story because they would expect most of the audience to know about the background story. Like historical knowledge. Yeah, and, and that, that, is, that is fair. That, that is fair. I, I'm not demanding that that South Korean movies should take into account the possibility that some film podcaster in, in Finland might <laughs> check the movie out in in five years after its release. O- of course not. Mm. But our listeners may also appreciate the fact that we kind of warn them already in here that maybe check out a documentary or at least read a Wikipedia article about how the war went on before checking the film. My general experience of Korean films is that they go pretty fast to the point, so there is none of this repetition of some plot points like in many American films. Well, that's how so, Koreans like it, you know, we're old plotters, you know, we gotta see this core scenes. <laughs> yeah, but it moves fastly. There's very no fast, repetition. Yeah, very fast. yeah. Okay, we get to a village and about 100 villagers have been slaughtered. There's a surprise bomb planted in between the bodies. Boom, boom, boom. Both sides being very dirty. And earlier there was a scene where Jinte is about to shoot an old childhood friend, or actually the friend that was taking lessons from Shin Sok in the beginning of the film regarding math or writing. And now this uh, Jinte older brother is ready to shoot the fucker. So that didn't turn out too well. Already getting kind of psychotic. But you know, yeah, it's war. You can trust anyone, as we have repeatedly seen in this film. Then there's the Battle of Unsan in November of 1950. The winter is starting and the brother situation escalates way out of control at this moment. 
You're the one who needs to go home, you're sick, and the medal cost a man his life, blaming his older brother for the death. I don't know if that was really fair, but that's what happens. Is this still very common, this you are our hopes and dreams type of approach to like the youngest sibling in the family? Like if nowadays it would feel like somebody would be kind of sounding insane, at least where I come from, if they were talking in that way, because... Yeah, we don't have that kind of a culture, at least anymore in Finland. Really? Yeah, no. Well, I mean, it's common for South Korean to say that you're the future and the dreams of the, our nation. It's mm. a very um, common thing. But doesn't that have kind of carry the the meaning that that mm. th- this uh, child would be like uh, also maybe monetarily beneficial for the family? So it will bring the food to the yeah, table. Yeah, uh, for sure. Not food to the table, but um, nowadays, you know, because like everybody can. They're doing quite well, I guess. Yeah. But they just kind of want their children to be better than themselves. Like they want them to be, um, I don't know, um, have a um, more yeah. professional um, career. So is there still kind of going on this that the, the father or the mother will say that I want right. you to be a doctor, and exactly, and he says that I don't want to be, and there's some kind of a huge right. fight about that. Well, <laughs> No, I mean, uh, my parents, they would always say things like this and they always Im- imply that I should be better than them. You know, mm. I should uh, have a better career, better life yeah. so that I can be um honor to the family. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It's a typical Asian stereotype, you know. Well, are they happy with what you have done? <laughs> uh, so far, they're not satisfied not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Work in progress. Work in progress, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, well, I guess there is a little bit of this in- inequality also in South Korea still going on. So maybe that contributes to that. That you inequality know, is in a financially so that, or yeah, financially that oh, yeah. you you really have to grab the opportunities and mm. take control of your life. Well, because uh, in Finland, if you don't, yeah. don't take control of your life, the government will take control of your life, and <laughs> you can't really Everywhere, ever yeah. sink in that sense. Yeah, I don't mm. know how that goes in Korea. Well, I mean. To describe briefly about South Korean society, it is the very competitive because yeah. a lot of people living in a very small, um, you know, area of nation. Uh, so, like, we are raised to be very competitive since like elementary school. I guess you know you got to be better than everyone, and they kind of have this philosophy that you need to step on other people to be better. Because other than that, you're not going to be uh, the best, or um, you know, yeah. which is pretty sad, you know. Because they don't teach you to cooperate with other people, but more than, you know, just compete and be better than them. Yeah, yeah, I heard about it. It causes yeah. a lot of mental mental problems because Ooh. you always have to compete and compete. That's true. Better. That's, that's true. And okay. uh, the, a lot of Korean people have this, um, it's more like a paranoia that you need to have better life than your neighbor, your, um, your, your relatives. Yeah. <laughs> so it's pretty uh, depressing. I've learned that the suicide rate is pretty. Mm. Yeah. yeah, the suicide rate, um, I think, if I'm correct, um, is the highest in the world, uh, at least in in the OECD countries. Uh, even higher than Japanese suicide rates, actually. Yeah. And this is something that you think always has has been in the Korean yeah, culture. That's for sure. Yeah, because yeah. Um, I think one of the reasons why South Korea is doing so well in the world right now is because mm. we are slaving ourselves. To do better every time, mm. 
and we just cannot catch a break. It's always uh, you know school, studying, going to a good university, the best university, and then for guys there's an army for two years, and then after that you gotta get a really good job. Uh, a lot of peer pressures, you know. Um, whenever you meet your relatives, your family, they will always ask like, "What are you doing in your life? Like, how are you seeing any girls? Have you got a good job? How's your career?" So yeah, like if you're not doing well, if you don't have a job, then you'll be judged by the whole your family trees. <laughs> yeah, and, and of course your peers, your friends, and you know, yeah. So now you're studying in Europe in in Poland. So does this feel like a, kind of a safe mm. haven for such? For oh yeah, such definitely, stress? definitely. Like I don't really have to care about like. I mean, I, of course, I have to care about like how I'm doing in my life. Yeah. But I just don't have as much as stress that I had in South Korea, where um, I'll be judged constantly, uh, compared constantly. Wow. Like uh, when I was in middle school, since I was middle school, um, after I finished the school at around three to four p.m., uh, my parents, my mom, uh, she sent me to math academy and then English academy, and I had the art academy uh, from six p.m. to eleven p.m. Yeah, pretty much every day. So yeah, couldn't really catch a break. Uh, didn't really have any time to spend with my friends, except the weekends, obviously. Yeah. Well, yeah, a bit different from the Finnish way of life, I think. Very. Mm. It's a pretty simple film, isn't it? It is, and uh, <laughs> judging from that point, it's overly long. It's like two uh, hours and thirty yeah. minutes, and most of it consists of fighting scenes with a lot of shaky cam, which this sure. director loves. <laughs> But uh, at least it's masked better in this film than it was in Shiri, yeah. where you would watch a scene where just soldiers coming out of the back of the truck and the camera is shaking for no reason at all. Mm. <laughs> But, um, it, it, it makes the scene more dynamic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well. well, well di- didn't you take, a, take your notes on those Bourne movies? What, in Jason Bourne, it's, I think it's executed <laughs> it, really well instead it, of Shiri. It is executed extremely well. Like Jason Bourne films are some that really show you how you should pull off the shaky shaky cam effect, but it still doesn't negate the point that Jason Bourne movies are absolutely, if not anything else, they are about the shaky cam. But anyway, lots of battles, boom, 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 and then there's the medal ceremony finally, kind of during the war, and he finally gets his request through that uh, Jin Sok is about to be sent home. But somehow this officer gets pushed to, uh, on the side, and another guy is in control at the moment, and he doesn't give a flying damnation about what they agreed earlier, and instead actually plans to burn all the people in the shack. It is some kind of a barn or something like that. And the officer decides that, yeah, this is a beautiful day to burn all these people alive for no apparent reason. And well, after that, well, they are technically uh, communists, and because of that, the enemy. Yeah, very technically, like on on paper. Well, o- on paper, but at this point, on paper is enough. So it seems, and uh, the bride is killed, and therefore, Jinte, after the assumed burning of his brother in that shack, goes and joins the North Korean army. He goes to beat up to death. Is it the same officer that ordered the shack burning and the Chinese yep. cap- capture him? 
Yeah. Yeah, precisely the same. Yeah, so that's how he gets he gets in touch with the Chinese and the Chinese I believe then recruit him to the North Korean army. Yet it turns out that uh, Jin Sok is okay and was somehow rescued by his friend from the shack just the moment before the burning. They were hanging around the premises apparently so long that they already know or they do know that the shack was indeed in flames. Or they got the information later, who knows. Yeah, they, for, for some reason they were hanging around and somehow they actually acquired the knowledge that Zintei was being held in the shack and for some reason they decided to save their communist friend. Yep. It, it, it's the magic of the script working once again. <laughs> now Jinzok says to his friend that he doesn't really care about his older brother anymore because of all these actions that he has taken and basically murdered his friend and joined North Korea. So, But then he later on reads the letter that he sent to his family or his mother, but it was never delivered and it boomeranged back to the camps. So he gets to read this letter and it's an emotional letter says how much he's missing everyone and that's this kind of changes his outlook on his brother and therefore he also decides to kind of join the North Korean forces to save his ass but that doesn't really work he's looking for the the flag unit yeah in, in Jin Shok's defense he was on, only supposed to make the radio broadcast to his brother in order to convince him to leave the North Korean troops and the whole escaping the South, South Korean base and running towards the North Korean forces was just something that happened on the fly once once he noticed that the plan was not going to work. Yeah, right, right. This is, of course, an act of desperation. Even tries to say a few words via the North Korean radio on the North Korean side, but doesn't work, so finally finds his brother, but the brother is some kind, in some kind of a mental state where he is unable to recognize, well, it's of course a situation of a war, so, and the guy is covered in mud in his face, so, problems of noticing who this guy actually is. Yeah, and the last knowledge that Jin Tae got from his brother was that he indeed did burn to crisp. Now, now yep. all of a sudden, facing... A dude who has South Korean army's uniform and is pulling a complete blackface here. Well, I I, I can kind of see how Jintae has some difficulties in recognizing the man. Yep, Jintae gets wounded and they keep on fighting. Finally, when the younger brother is talking about the family and the mother and so on, he finally gets out of the coma. Um, so some kind of a battle frenzy which is going yeah. on. And Jintei is about to give the pen of uh, Jin Sok back to him, but uh, Jin Sok sa- says to give the pen when he when they meet again. You know, I think the uh, director wanted to describe the um, the two forces fighting in the Korean War, the South and North, as uh, brothers fighting. You know, to describe this um, yeah. heartbreaking. You know, it's quite, it's quite sad to see this. Yeah, it shows really well the kind of the madness of the whole war. Yeah. Like everybody was still like the same family and just was split apart, right? It's basically there's no 
real reason for Koreans to fight each other, right? Um, except the, the ideology from the Soviet Union and uh, America, you know, the capitalism and communism. Right, that's so fascinating to me mm. because you're still the same nation in a sense, and then is the ideology that strong that mm. somebody would be willing to pull on this fight, artificially made hate towards one another? To pull it off. Well, yeah, but there's a lot of propaganda going on yeah. to make them hate each other. And, you know, before the Korean War, this uh, Korean peninsula was split in half due to... Before that, um, Korea was occupied by Japanese forces. And after the Japanese emperor, they declared um, surrender. Soviet Union and America decided to split the country in half and control yep. the nations until they're stabilized. Yeah. Nobody bothered to ask from the Koreans. Well, exactly, like, yeah, yeah, that's true. They just did it. Uh, their excuse was that uh, the Korea didn't have um, a proper government, you know, mm. during that time. But it was more like uh, a power game between Soviet Union and America. Because mm. both nations wanted Korean Peninsula and they couldn't really come to an uh, agreement. So they just split in half. Yeah. I guess it could have ended in a way worse way than it did. Oh, yeah, definitely, so. yeah. In that sense. What do you think? Will the Koreans ever unite? Mm, interesting question. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, for two Koreans to unite, that's going to be another 30 to 50 years. That's too much problem compared to you know Koreans because they rejoined after 20, 30 years, I reckon. And it's already been 70 years since the, the separation yeah. and the war. And the longer it goes on, the bigger longer the differences. The longer it goes, harder it gets, yeah. yeah. Because there are still a lot of tensions, even though um, two governments right now are trying to um, ease the tensions between the nations. But still, um, North Korea, they still want to keep their political system. They're not willing to give it up. So yeah, that's going to be either we become a confederation and cooperate and then kind of work ourselves up to United Korea. Or just becoming a two sovereign nations, which is more likely, I guess, because mm. we're like radically different as in the systems, the political system. We have been talking in this podcast uh, in the past about if it matters anything that, like, this was the first time ever that the, the president of South Korea and uh, Kim Jong Un were shaking hands, I believe. Yeah, that's and, true. And also Kim Jong Un mm. stepped momentarily to the south side, and vice yeah. versa. Uh, vice versa. Uh, so it was a very historical moment, but if obviously it was just a ruse, a political show, because mm. Kim Jong Un didn't really give up his weapons, um, you know, even after the talk with the United States, uh, Donald Trump. Mm. Also, they're still testing their missiles. It was um, a display against uh, the joint training between South Korea and U.S. Army. Uh, so there are still tensions even after the talks. So it's very hard to predict how it's going to play out in near future. Even I, I find it so surprising that well, not really coming from North Korea, but you know mm -hmm. the rhetoric that they would give after they had been making some amends with Donald Trump and they had right. been like friendly with South Korea and then very friendly, yeah. And then suddenly it's like back to square one that. Uh, Whatever the comment was, it was really derogatory. Well, yeah. The problem is that South Korean wants North Korean to give up their uh, political system, which is the, the communist, um, the Kim Jong-un hierarchy. Yeah. Uh, and United States, they want North Korea to give up their nuclear weapons and the ICBM. But 
North Koreans are not going to give up, give those up because it is without those they cannot survive as a sovereign nation. You know, mm. you know what happened in Ukraine uh, when they gave up their nuclear weapons in three years' time. They were invaded by Russia, and in Libya as well, the similar thing happened. Um, what's happening in Libya right now is devastated. And that happened after Gaddafi, Gaddafi gave up the weapons to United States. So I don't really think North Korea is gonna trust United States on keeping up the weapons. Nor Kim Jong Un would give up his power to become part of South Korea. That's just simply not going to happen. Yeah, but uh, why get so aggravated out of these military trainings that they have on the South Korean side? Ah, uh, because and then completely like kind of destroy the process that you had. Right. Um... I guess it's impossible to really understand from there. So. Well, there is uh, Lee mo- most likely has a better insight into that topic. But it seems like really stupid, even from their part. Well, it's only in the case that you actually take the stance that North Korea was sincere in the negotiations and was not simply using those to buy their, themselves more time to advance the nuclear program. But but still, why now? Why not? Why not continue the cosplay a little because bit Because at this point, they have finally managed to manufacture the well. What 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 is the latest missile? The Shuangshong Four. Well, I mean, they have the nuclear weapons and the ICBM, yeah. which is intercontinental uh, missile system. Yep. So so now they have achieved that. That is, that is something that they have been thriving towards for for something like. Uh, 50 years yeah and so yeah and until that point they kind of had to thread carefully because they only had the ibms and their launch capacity from there to south korea and japan but not to the united states itself Mm. but now they are reaching the point or they have reached the point especially if you go with the north korean data being given about the latest missiles to actually reach Washington. So now that power structure has changed in North Korean perspective. Mm. From a geopolitical perspective, for a nation to keep a sovereignty and you know be a sovereign nation, the most important thing is the armed forces or any necessary forces to protect this country. Uh, in this case, for North Korea, is the nuclear weapons because obviously they cannot compete with United States or the UN or uh, UN forces, even the South Korean army, because the technology is way more ahead. So it is their only means to become a sovereign, uh, the People's Republic of North Korea. And they're not um, hesitating to display their means to use the force of nuclear weapons. Well, also also to the point where, where they were building kind of positive peer relations Kim Jong-un was appearing in the Western media for the first time ever, and that could have possibly had some positive effects, but they are willing to disregard everything now. Because but, I guess it just co- uh, completely coincided with the development of the nuclear weapons at this point, to the point where they are saying just, I don't care anymore. That, that and also, like Lee pointed out, North Korea, when it comes to United States, when it comes to UN, and, but most definitely to US, North Korea is extremely hesitant to actually trust or put any faith into the mm. U.S. and how U.S. would react if they would actually ever give up on, on the nuclear weapon program. 
Well, what happened to, like Lee pointed out, what happened to Gaddafi and what happened with Hussein? Like, do mm-hmm. the North Koreans, these are warning signs on exactly how mm. untrustworthy exactly. U.S. is. Like, I'm not a communist, but I definitely understand uh, the strategy of North Korean, you know, leader Kim Jong-un. Yeah, I mean, it does not come into being communist or having any any political side, but but mm. but America has pretty checkered past when it comes yeah. to dealing with other powers. True. Yeah, doesn't help. Okay, in the movie sphere, the older brother dies of uh, bullet wounds, and later again we cut to present day, and the younger brother is at those bones and says that why? What are you doing here? You should have been at home and giving me this pen or whatever the case was. And he does get the pen from the site, and that's basically the film. There is some ending quotes. You promised to come back and finish the shoes. So what are you doing here? Everybody is super eager to go to school. And with those words, the movie is ready to end. Yeah. Something to note still at the very end. The dude actually did keep to his word and he did deliver the shoes. Yeah. As we saw in the opening of the film. I think a lot of people would have cried at that scene because the brother was... He promised to finish the shoe, which is a very insignificant promise. Mm. Uh, very easy to keep, obviously, you know, before the war when everything was normal. Mm. And it's significant here because yeah. the war happened and the simple promise, it's just impossible now yeah. because it is a significant but, but, event but the of war. But the older brother did finish the shoes before the war started. Like the, did he? Yeah. The, no, the, he didn't, I think. He didn't. But, but the younger brother actually has from the very end and mm, it's unfinished i think it's unfinished. oh because i i took that they were actually finished i'm not really sure but he was saying that um that you promised that you will come and finish the shoes you were supposed to have like a shoe shop so maybe shoes is not quite finished or maybe there's another pair of shoes uh, I, I just <laughs> took it that he was ungrateful ungrateful yeah because the other brother did finish the shoes and now younger brother is here Crying how how ah. how older father <laughs> made the promise to finish the shoes. Yeah, no, it's it's more like it's not about the shoes. Obviously, he doesn't care about the shoes. He cares more about him coming back and of finishing course. the shoes. You know, mm. just coming back to normal life. Yeah, I'm 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 just you know poking fun at the expense of a guy who lost. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the film. Anything further? This is pretty straightforward. North versus South. And mm. uh, roll credits. That's the film. Yeah, this first one is uh, favorite performance. Henry can go first as the victim. To me, it was a, quite a struggle between the two male leads in this film, the two brothers. But if you have to choose, I, I guess I'm I'm sticking with the uh, Zhang Donggun as Jin Tae. Yeah, I don't know, but uh, I'm gonna go with Won Bin. How to comment that further? I don't know. They both deliver strong performances, but Wonbin has more to do, so going with that. How about Lee? I think I like uh, Jang Dungo's acting a li- little bit better because he's menacing um, the face in the movie. I think it was very impressive. He just goes mm. maniac. Good one. Favorite scene, Henry? Uh, it would be the Ponyang fight. Mm. Somehow the Battle of Pyongyang always comes into my mind. I 
quite enjoy that random moment where a extremely well-paid actor comes to show off his face for like two minutes and dies. Lee? I think for me um, it was during the battle, I think it was a Pyongyang battle as well, when the brothers, you know, rejoice together, you know, they meet together and then it's like a very emotional moment. Mm. I think that part was my favorite. All right. Favorite quote? From e- extremely easily quotable film. For me, and this is, once again, this is me going off with the Finnish subtitles. So, and and roughly is translating from Finnish subtitles to English. So my quote can be all over the place and completely wrong. But it is from the, when you first see the group and, or when the brothers join the group, which they spend the rest of the film and they are having that meal before the, they get bombarded by grenades. And there, there is the quote, you never know when, when it's the next time you get to eat. You better eat this shit. Because that was exactly how it was also in Finnish army. <laughs> well, it was pretty decent food. Too bad it was always the same, though. But yeah. Mm, yeah, de- decent and quotation marks. Maybe we should add, like, the, the beep sound to that part. Because... <laughs> We are disclosing military secrets. <laughs> oh and shit, so we are. <laughs> and it's that, that, incredible. That, that, yeah, well, we, we kind of have a past with Finnish military and it's sick. It's incredibly hard to know where to draw the line, really, because there is no official you know, line set for this. You know, it says, please don't tell anything that you see here that is something that you shouldn't tell. So maybe somebody can draw that if I ate a rye bread on the 27th of August in army. I don't know if I did, but if I did, that will probably lead somebody to investigate that I probably held this gun at that moment, according to another source, and then that will draw the conclusion that we should attack, attack uh, this island where I was uh, patrolling, and uh, World War Three will break out. Yeah, when it comes to what is disclosing military secrets in Finland, the definitions are extremely vague, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, my favorite quote would be something that is really descriptive of the film or the conflict in general. It's, is that ideology important enough to kill each other over? And the obvious answer is no. Lee, did you have any favorite quote from this film? Uh, definitely the the one that you quoted. Is it ideology enough to kill each other? As well as, yeah. um, I think the most emotional quote would be, you are supposed to finish your shoes. Yeah. I think that's like the most um, memorable for me at least yeah oh no oh no <laughs> Henrik favorite kill <clears throat> and this category comes from the horror genre that's why we still have it here for like uh, <laughs> entertainment purposes it's not working at all in this episode <laughs> yeah or, or in most of the international cinema challenge episodes right maybe we should someday actually take a hard look at the quickies and remove some of them I actually can can name a favorite kill. So it would be the very last bloodbath that happens. Like the absolutely last when Jin Tae kills the entire Red Army and then dies as as one does after killing the entire Red Army. Mm. But for South Korean, uh, any kills of goddamn c- <laughs> my favorite kills. <laughs> Alright, so uh, next question is random confusing question. What? 
No, 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 you are, you are not, 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 you are not scapegoating Kari out of this one. So, so, so Kari, favorite kill. Favorite kill, Kari. <laughs> me, me and even the uh, best were able to name our favorite kills. Well, it, it, it's the random fly that gets crashed when one of those planes come down during the final battle. You just couldn't see it, but it's there. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want me to be a son of a bitch in this podcast, and well, you know, there was a setup and a payoff in a way when the the guardian of the prison camp was killed with a rock. Nothing pretty, nothing nice, but could have been deserved at that moment in a way. Was I brutally honest now? <laughs> Can we move on? <laughs> Please. <laughs> God. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I just need you to specify exactly how much did you enjoy that day. <laughs> uh, random confusing question. All right. <laughs> Any ideas? Uh, yeah. How, how much did you enjoy all the deaths in this film? <laughs> that, that is my succession for the random confusing question. If you come up with a better one, please, you may ask. No, no in- enjoyment in that part. But this is going to be the typical question from my part. So, Henrik, will you join me on also this unpaid travel trip for the future and go with me to South Korea or North Korea? Unpaid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we, we still don't have the monetary support for this podcast. So Yeah, we, we still don't have any income here. We have already promised to go to Kyrgyzstan. We have promised to go to at least five countries in this podcast. What are you guys doing there? Hmm? What are you guys doing there in those, in those countries? <laughs> I don't know, but we have been covering the films of these countries. And right. we have had different guests and, and, you know, the ending comments. Oh, it would be so nice to go there. I know, maybe somewhere in the future. And I really wish I could go to Martinique, to Caribbean. But when, that's, who knows. You should definitely, um, you know, hit me up when you come to South Korea. I can, you know, yeah. maybe if I'm there, I can guide you around. Uh, I can show you some places and all that. Thank you. No problem. Much appreciated. Henrik, we really have to start traveling around the world at some point. We have so many invites now. <laughs> I, I, I'm ready to travel with you whenever you start fooding the pill. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's how it's going to go. First image that comes to mind, Henrik. Would be the brothers marching to the first base camp right after they have been recruited to the army when they are traveling to the first base. Would be the end battle and the general chaos of that. You bloodthirsty monster. Lee? Dead (laughs) (laughs) This is gonna be an interesting edit once again. (laughs) This is how you make a classy production. (laughs) <laughs> what took you out of this film, Henrik? Well, not nothing really. I was I was with the film through and throughout. Well, some of those overly extended fighting scenes, which could have been shorter, it's just now they got up them. There, there was explosions and people dying and all the good stuff in life. It makes you numb at some point, but of course that's very much the way of life on the front lines. Lee, what took you out of this film? The long running time, I guess. It's just way too long. But yeah, yeah mostly uh, it was filled with good scenes and 
plots and stuff, so I suppose it was fine, but for me it's just too long. What pulled you in, Henrik? It would be the first nighttime fight scene that they have. Well, I really like the kind of a cliche-ish opening scenes where we, we meet the brothers for the first time and uh, the younger brother is hanging from the tram and then the older brother joins and previously they had just shared the ice cream that was really sweet all these you know loving moments between them true yeah what pulled you in well i mean everybody's saying that it was uh one of the greatest um of you know south korean blockbuster so i guess that's one of the reasons why i watched it mm. and also uh my friends wanted to watch it as well so eric scissors of sacrilege what would you change in the film I, I guess I would meddle with the music at times, remove some of the more modern instruments from the soundtrack, but that would be as far as I would go. Like a uh, dubstep? <laughs> mo- 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 uh, yeah, may- maybe add some dubstep. <laughs> Wouldn't that be interesting? I would, I would add disco polo. <laughs> I would try to make the war scenes shorter, but uh, Henrik enjoys those, those very much, so we will hear about that immediately. I'm waiting. Yeah, don't you be touching my war scenes. Yeah. What would you cut or change in the film? Uh, definitely custom scenes. I think some scenes are unnecessary. Maybe some more plots, like in twists. Yeah. Like unexpected turnout. Yeah, we were touching a little bit on the soundtrack. It's been said that it's a great soundtrack and composer has been compared to many of the greats of the mm. Hollywood films. Uh, yeah, sure. Great music. There was one critic, though, that said that the movie's music was overly emotional because the scenes themselves were already emotional enough and you Mm. would have needed a little bit more chilled soundtrack to complement that. I don't know. I just liked it. No problem. This is kind of Korean way. They just like to amplify the emotions from the movies and whatnot. It's too much sometimes, but that's how they like it. Really? I thought this was kind of a really Hollywoodian influence going on right here. Do you think so? Mm. I mean, like, most of the Korean dramas and movies, they're just, like, too much emotion going on there. Oh, yeah. Uh, Too much crying, too much anger or whatever. Definitely on TV series. Mm. Whereas, I think, American TV shows is kind of, like, a bit watered down, like, a bit more appropriate. Henrik, you really know you're watching Takuki. When? I kind of actually can't answer that one on my own on my own behalf but I, I i do for certain know that my cobbler knows he's watching the film every time i bring him new shoes for repair because it always takes me like 50 fucking years to come to retrieve them and the guy always goes like yeah got drafted the korean war once again didn't you <laughs> you really know you're watching Daiguki when you really know <laughs> you are watching once again one of those uh, south korean films about the korean war there's plenty of them. But you really know you're watching it when you have some brotherly love, let's say. Lee? Yeah. You really know you're watching Taguki when? You know you're watching Taguki when you see the brothers struggling together? Mm. This like That's kind of the only thing that you can pull out <laughs> of this, you know? Yeah, I think uh, this movie has significance because before this movie there, except Siri, uh, didn't we really have this like big blockbuster, you know, a lot of actions, yeah. a lot of explosions and stuff. So yeah, I guess that that's why it was so big during that time. But now that we look back, it's quite a difficult movie, you know, for Korean War. 
Yeah, exactly. I heard that uh, before Siri, the Korean audiences saw the Korean films kind of uh, as cheaper movies or mm. something that they didn't really prefer. They wanted to go watch the Hollywood blockbusters and yeah. then it kind of um, shifted. There was never enough funding for uh, movies like this. So yeah, Three adjectives to describe the film. Headbreak. From my end would be violent, dark and sad. From my end would be bloody, noisy, colorful. Hmm. For me, it'd be brotherhood, war. Mm. I guess we need to turn in those into adjectives. This is fun. Uh, brotherhoody, worry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, adjectives. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's good. And the third one? Thrilling. Definitely. Mm. Henrik, end of the line. Would you recommend Taikoki? I most definitely would recommend Taikoki. Lee made the point, and Kari made the wrong notion that the fight scenes take too long. I did not have that problem with the film. I was actually surprised to s- w- once again by how quickly the film went for me. <laughs> I looked at the back cover and saw that the running time was 2 hours and 28 minutes, and I was immediately like, oh, this is going to be a long one, and then all of a sudden I started watching the film, and all of a sudden it just ended. Something that I found myself thinking quite a lot when watching this was Saving Private Ryan. Uh, oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of saw this as South Korean Saving Private Ryan, which instead of the rescue mission, it is about the war and the emotional casualty of, of the Korean War. Mm. I think it was definitely influenced. Yeah. I got the same vibe also, but uh, of course I can't go and say for certain... Because if I now would make the case and announced that this film was influenced by Saving Private Ryan, I'm certain that our Facebook page would immediately get spammed by someone who points out that it it wasn't. <laughs> I I don't know if this is as good as the hype makes it out to be. Maybe this is not the ultimate war film masterpiece, as its reputation at this point tends to paint it, but it, it still is extremely effective, very powerful, very very violent war film about a conflict that we don't get that many films about in the West. So, yeah, recommendation from me. Yeah, also recommendation from me. When I saw it, even though I thought that it was a really great war film and depiction of the Korean War, I felt a little bit underwhelmed because I thought it was a little bit cliche and uh, all the, you know, setup and the payoff moments were so obvious that you could just pick them immediately and see where this is going. Other than that, yeah, I was switching for shorter fighting scenes, but no major gripes. I really enjoyed the film, but I did end up watching my clock a couple of times. What about you, Henrik? No, like like mentioned previously, I... I, on my end, I was surprised how quickly this one went. What about Lee? Did you look at your watch when watching this film? I don't think I was really bored when I was watching it. Yeah. Movies seem very difficult and cliche because there had been thousands of war movies like this after this yeah. uh, the release. I think the original release was like 2004, was it? Yes. Yeah. So I think um, during that time might have been a very um, original, at least for Koreans, you know, because we didn't have this kind of movie before. Right, right. But yeah, I enjoyed it in general. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I mean, there's so many movies to choose from. You could go with Shiri and you could go with a Joint Security Area. Mm. Uh, I 
always going to come back to joint security area. Always, also this kind of a story where you have a guy from north side and the south side. I don't know if you have seen it. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're like talking together, like becoming a friends, and after a while, they're fighting together or whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah. It is one one of the most kind of a hopeful films that yeah. that cover, covers the south north relationship. Yeah, and you would probably recommend the film as well. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I think um, for most of my friends, it'll be very different experience because I'm pretty sure they don't really watch Korean movies. Yeah, well, I would recommend it. You know, they mm. could have some different experience. Yeah, and apart from that, did you enjoy the film? Or Definitely. If you, if you yeah. can say that. Yeah. Um, I did enjoy the film because I'm South Korean. I know the history and the culture, so it's more relatable for yeah. sure. So I guess I might have uh, enjoyed it um, more than you guys might have. Mm. Definitely. All right. Thanks for the show for today. And uh, you can, of course, find us on Facebook, YouTube and Instagram. If you haven't still joined our 20 films from 20 different countries, International Cinema Challenge, please do. You can watch the same films that we are going through throughout the year 2019. Or if you don't want to, or more likely if you can't find the films because they are so hard to find, or you need to pay in some cases 200 USD for a freaking DVD. So you can watch any other 20 films from 20 different countries of your own choosing. Of course, also on the, every last Thursday of the month now, until the April of 2020, we will look at one James Bond film, one best and the worst chosen by the lab here <laughs> from every actor that played James Bond. Thank you for joining us. And, and thank you, Lee. For absolutely. <laughs> no problem. It was a pleasure. And also, if you have some website or project or Twitter handle or whatever you want to share on this show, Instagram, please go ahead. Oh, sure. Great. If you want. <laughs> yeah. uh, my Instagram account is xxz underscore Lee. Yeah. L-E-E. Thank you. So go, go there and check out the new coming up diplomat. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. This was a heavy film. I think I'm going to grab another beer and uh, go work the next morning. So thank you very much on my part. Right, thank you, Hendrik. So, <laughs> for what? <laughs> for for staying quiet most of the time. No, for your <laughs> professional insights. Exactly. No, no mo- most definitely. Thank you, Lee. Thank you. For, for joining us today and, and giving us insight when it comes to the film. It was my pleasure. See you next week. And there then. Yeah, so the whole Discord crashed. God damn. Yeah. This is what you get when you use a software that has been coded on one can of tuna and three bananas.